morning, church. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John um, chapter 1 to verse 5, and then hopping into chapter 2 to verse 2. Um, so yeah, let's read. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I will write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate for the, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Micah. Well, good morning, everybody. I got to tell you, the Seattle vibes are just killing me out there. I am so, 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 so ready for some sun. The waves have been gone. Suffering for Jesus here in San Diego. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus. We've begun our series through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we are laboring and praying to, through the summer and throughout the rest of the duration of the life of this church, which we're praying for a minimum of five generations. We're not working off of a five-year strategy, but a five-generation strategy. We want to go the long haul, and we truly want to become a community of love. And so would you pray with me as these texts and these scriptures and the Spirit himself will empower us and guide us and prayerfully multiply the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven through the coming generations, through you and I together. Holy Father, we bow before you now as our maker and creator. King Jesus, we surrender to your mercy and your holiness and your goodness. Spirit of God, we consent to your presence. We surrender here our bodies and our minds and our souls. And in this room, Lord, filled with wounds, anxieties, uncertainties in a room of souls, Lord, where there has been wrongs done and wrongs done to us. More than ever in our breaking society, the church needs to be a people of deep, sacrificial, at cost to ourself, love for the other. Please, please, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may we be a flagship church here in the city loving each other, loving the church of this city, loving neighbor as self, and loving you, God, with heart, mind, strength, and soul. We ask these things in the hopes of and in the promise of these prayers being answered concretely, measurably. Withhold no good thing, Lord. We walk uprightly before you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have this delightful uh, memory that came to me this last week while I was praying and studying and meditating in this passage. I remember I couldn't have been probably maybe five or six years old. I was very little. My brother would have been a toddler. 
And I can remember that my mom, she would set us on the couch about the time that my dad was going to get home. And she would get us all excited. She'd be like, dad's about to be home. Dad's about to be home. Dad's about to be home. And for us, it was this, Troy and I would get, my little brother and I, Troy and I, we would get ready to just race. And then we'd hear the door open and mom would say, he's here. And we would run. I remember just like shoving Troy and running as fast as I could because I wanted to get to dad first. We would race to him and then each of us would jump on one leg and he would jump on the other leg. And then I remember my dad stomping through the kitchen making this huge noise and he'd kick me up really high. He'd kick my brother up high. But the most vivid and joyful memory from it all was my little brother, Troy. He was a bit of a tubby toddler. <laughs> he had this round face with curly hair. And I can see him in my mind's eye. His face is just pure light, pure joy, pure delight. In every way, we were with our father, and our father loved us, and we loved him, and together we were in fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word for this passage and these ideas that we're studying through the summer. Koinonia. We were a community of love, literally. Delight, joy, presence, peace, one unto another. And this, friends, I want to give to you as the foundational image for the rest of our journey through the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John this summer, as we are laboring and praying to become a community of love here in the city of San Diego. We are, theologically speaking, a community, a family of children, and we are now waiting and longing for our Father to come near, to come home. All so that we might just delight in his presence and he would delight in our presence and we together with him would learn to delight in one another. Remember, we're defining joy this summer as that sensation you get in your body when you walk into a room and the other people in the room, their eyes light up. Or that sensation you get in your body when that person walks into the room and you are genuinely so happy to see them a community of joy, a fellowship of love. This is our goal. So from our text this morning, John gives us two foundational blocks. This is where we start our journey through the summer. Two foundational blocks that communities of love are actually built on. Transparency and humility. Transparency and humility. Would you all join me in just taking a deep breath into our body? Just kind of listen to what's going on in the body here this morning. We're going to talk about some difficult things. John can get pretty invasive with us. And so breathe deeply through the sermon as I teach, as we read these passages, as we consider, allow the Spirit to speak to you this morning. Transparency and humility, these two foundational blocks of what a community of love is built on. By the time John was writing, most likely to communities scattered throughout Asia Minor in the city of Ephesus or in the region of Ephesus, he was writing to refute false teachers that had risen up in the area. And these false teachers were distorting the truths of Jesus Christ with their ideas. John first addresses their claims in the negative, and then he follows that up by pointing the communities to the positive side of actual true teaching from Jesus. What John was doing was he was confronting false forms of community that form around false teaching and pointing his disciples to true community formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, and the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so John says, if we claim the first negative, if we claim to have fellowship, koinonia, community, with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now, dark and light, these are themes that saturate the biblical narrative, and particularly in St. John the Apostle's writings. One of the primary ideas of light and dark throughout the Bible is this contrast of being seen or being hidden. Transparency or opacity. Did you guys know that's the antonym of 
transparency, opaqueness, opacity. Humanity, in general, sins in hidden places where it cannot be seen. We prefer darkness to cover our covert behaviors, to conceal our activities. And we convince ourselves that our behaviors, if not seen, aren't as bad as if they are seen. Watch any little kid that's been asked not to do something. Toddlers learn at a very early age to go about incognito when they're up to no good. The older we get, the more sophisticated we become in our camouflaging, covering, smoke screening, and justifying of our choices. As Christians, we can even become theologically adept at covering our tracks. John was dealing with this specifically. These false teachers believed that because Jesus had died once and all for their sin, sin was no longer an issue for these false teachers. One could do with their body and their behavior what they desired because Jesus has died. Grace and mercy are going to cover whatever I do with my life. Now, St. Paul, dealing with the church in the city of Rome, was wrestling with and fighting against a very similar thread of teaching in the church there in the city of Rome. Some in the city of Rome were saying, if our sin illuminates God's forgiveness, why not just sin all the more to make God's grace all the more gracious? To which Paul, literally, when you're reading the book of Romans, it's like the guy loses his mind. You can hear him refuting these false teachers and standing up in the room where he's writing the text going, what?! No! Why not say, Paul says, Romans 3, 8, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation, that's a terrifying word in the Greek New Testament, their condemnation is just. Each of us will face, each of us have in our past already, and maybe even today find ourselves in a moment saying, yeah, why not? God will forgive me. It's attributed to Nietzsche, the great secular philosopher, who said, we can do whatever we want. It's God's job to forgive us. Paul and John, both of them, were saying that if a person is walking in the dark, their life is hidden, but they claim to have koinonia, fellowship, community with God, it's a lie. They are not living in the truth. And Paul was warning specifically that this way of living, if you live in a habitual pattern of hidden darkness, you're actually not walking in the way of Jesus at all. So the key to loving, transparent community is transparency versus opacity. It is to be seen rather than to be hidden. Fundamentally, friends, Christianity is a total transformation project. Now, As we journey through 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and John, we're going to get into this in much more detail in coming sessions through the summer. But for this morning, people practicing the way of Jesus, that's us. That's what we're doing as Christians. Over the duration of our life, through time, and through intentional practices, we are having our deepest desires by choice and by supernatural effect of the Holy Spirit, realign with Jesus' desires for our lives. And over time, layer by layer, as our desires are shifted and realigned with Jesus' desires, sin becomes more and more repulsive. The Holy Spirit, deep within us, supernaturally convicts, and he guides, and he animates from within us, supernaturally transforming our motivations and our core longings, 
patterns. Remember the word patterns. Not just one-offs, but patterns. Habitual patterns of disobedience and flesh and sin. Layer by layer by layer, moment by moment, over the duration of our life, are exposed through the reading of the scriptures, through the sweet counsel of the church, community one with another, through conviction of the spirit. This is a lifelong process of renewal and realignment. And as we travel through 1 John, we're going to need to thread this needle of sin and overcoming sin very carefully. There are many within the modern Western church, pastor hat off, prophet hat on in some sense of that idea. There are many within the modern Christian church who need to be warned by John and by Paul and by the Spirit, need to be made very uncomfortable because of the hidden life that they are living, because of walking in darkness. Listen, it is a dangerous place to be to have your soul calloused to the point where you can sin without a sense of check or question or conviction. Paul says to callous the soul and lose your sensitivity to sin is to set a trajectory towards lostness or condemnation. Now, other people, breathe in deeply with me, please. Oh, it's getting heavy in here. Other people are terrified right now that they are not Christians <laughs> because you can't get free from that rut there's this pattern of sin that you just struggle against, and it's been there since day one. I got saved in 1998. I've been walking with Jesus for 25 years. There are very specific behavioral patterns. I think they're neurochemically built into my brain from patterns I built when I was a kid that I still am just hatefully wrestling with every single day of my life. And we together, friends, need to be assured that the fact that we are wrestling and struggling is a clear mark that we have been reconciled with God. It is when the wrestling ceases that we know we are on a path towards danger and lostness. But if you are wrestling today, if you find yourself saying, heavy sermon, condemnation, scary word, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit working with you in relationship. Just keep going. Just keep being loved. Just keep fighting. We have entered into a lifelong war. The Total Transformation Project of Christianity will touch every aspect, every facet of our life, and it will light up every nook and cranny of darkness. And so as apprentices, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, we actually desire more and more. In our deeps, you'll struggle with it. Your flesh will hate it. Sin will lie to you and Satan will deceive you. And the world will say, don't. But in the deepest deeps of who you are, you will find yourself saying, yes, I want more light. Yes, I want more purity. But if we walk in the light, John 1, 7, as he is in the light, we have koinonia, community, fellowship with one another. Note that text in verse 7. We'd expect John to say, that as we walk more and more in the light, we would grow in greater intimate relationship with God the Father. But he doesn't say that. He says walking in the light puts us in loving community with one another. Loving community forms around transparency with our behavior as we join with others who are walking more and more in the light alongside us. We are in the war together. Now, John is not diminishing the intimacy with God that walking in the light cultivates. He is emphasizing, though, that those walking in the light with God will naturally desire to be in the light with one another. This is a key theological truth that we cannot neglect throughout the entire New Testament. There is no relationship with God without each other. There is no relationship with God without each other. 
Transparent fellowship with other humans is a mark of transparent fellowship with God. Loving community with God is experienced in loving community with each other. So transparency, transparency, foundational block number one for this summer. It addresses what can be seen externally in our lives. But John was trying to also confront a group of teachers that needed to see down into the deeps of their hearts into the core of their beings and be humbled. If we claim, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are geniuses, <laughs> such geniuses, at convincing ourselves that, hey, I'm not really sure this is sin. <laughs> we can convince ourselves that our interior motivations and our external behaviors, maybe they're not as bad, well, I'm not sure that this actually is sin. We're capable of justifying and excusing sin in incalculable ways. And so the solution proposed by John and the rest of the New Testament is humility, deep humility. Remember, and you guys can go back through the podcast and listen to these. We did an entire series on atonement theory where we explored what is sin. Sin is more complex than, and it's more insidious than just our mere outward behaviors. Sin is something that has happened to us, and sin is something that we have chosen to do. We are born theologically polluted or corrupted, according to the Bible, but we also choose to pollute and corrupt our own souls. Sin in the book of Genesis is described as an external beast that we must tame, but we oftentimes choose to let it just devour us. Sin is also described in the New Testament as an interior sickness from which we need healing. Sin is so pervasive in our flesh, in our systems, in our world, that it's like we're fish in an aquarium who, when asked to describe water, we simply can't do it. What's water? It's just what we exist in. What do you mean? What's sin? It's just what we exist in. And that, friends, I don't know about you, but when you spend 25 hours meditating in this text, you find yourself going, man, that's humiliating. That's so humbling. It's so humbling. It's terribly humbling to come to grips with what the Bible's perspective on our situation is through the corruption and pollution of sin. And it's hard to hear, and you may even now be terribly offended because it is offensive to our modern sensibilities. Maybe you've been working on your, on your self-esteem and your positive thinking. You've been being more gracious with yourself, and that's excellent. Keep being more gracious with yourself. Keep doing that. But what you will find is at the end of all of your graciousness with yourself, your motivation Closed doors, behaviors, missteps, mistakes, and failures will still be a daily occurrence, no matter how gracious we are with ourselves, no, how, no matter how much we positively, cognitively, behaviorally think ourselves into a better place. We're still going to look ourselves in the mirror and go, swing and a miss yesterday. Maybe you've decided, you know what, this is, this is my time. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more pure of mind and heart and eye. I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to be more altruistic. I'm going to be more forgiving. And I just want to politely ask you, how's that going for you? <laughs> has, has sheer willpower been enough to overcome the unconscious patterns of sin that has been done against you, sin that's going on around you, and the sin that has been done by you? I would propose probably not. If you're humble, if we're humble and we're super honest, try as we may to to overcome our sin, what we find is that we may for a season overcome particular sins and get out of certain ruts, only to discover as soon as we get over the top of that particular rut, we're just crushed by 10 other things that we didn't even know were an issue yet. It's frustrating, humiliating, humiliate. It's humbling. Now, dearest friend, 
I tried to sit with you in the preparations of these teachings, and I listened to my own heart. And you may be saying, Dan, dude, this is why I'm deconstructing. This is why I'm barely holding on to a thread of this thing called the Christian church. I grew up in a situation where I was told my whole life, I'm a totally depraved sinner, pulpit slammed, devoid of any good, a miserable schmuck. (laughs) I know all of this stuff. This is my background. This is my theology. I get it. And you want to know what, Dan? I still sin, and I feel horrible, and I feel hopeless, And this little sermon you're giving right now, it's making me feel even more helpless about it. Maybe today's the day that I'm like, I'm done with this. Please just stay a little bit longer. Lifelong war, I understand this. John is going to give us some answers today and for the rest of this summer to our dilemma. But before we move on past this moment of feeling this, please stay humble, dear deconstructing one. Stay humble. Even if the message about the state of our souls was delivered in a wrong or manipulative or harmful way, friends, the Bible never comes off the gas pedal in its descriptions of our fallenness, of our theological language's depravity. The answer, the answer is not to deny the truth of the Bible and what it says about our situation. And it's certainly not to say, you know what, I'm just going to pretend like I don't have sin. I'm going to pretend like this doesn't exist. And it's certainly, dear deconstructing friend, and I've been there with you and in some ways find myself drifting back into that space occasionally, it is certainly not helpful to deconstruct and then embrace the secular narratives around us and try to convince ourselves that sin is just a social stigma passed down by authority figures who are trying to stay in power. Because even if you can buy that, our incessant ability to be who we want to be and do what we want to do and say what we want to say, our inability to To do that over and over and over, almost every single moment of our lives, proves that the secular narratives about human nature are an absolute farce. They're lies. They're not true. You and I, remember, cannot deconstruct Jesus. Cannot be done. You cannot deconstruct the creator of the universe. Oh, silly, silly soul. Who do you think you are? You can deconstruct your church history. You can deconstruct manipulative and harmful messages. You cannot destruct the resurrected king of the universe. And we cannot deconstruct what he says about the state of our souls. We cannot deconstruct sin. What we can do is bow and be humble and let light bring truth. Humility will say, okay, I have got some serious issues. Humility honestly assesses our interior motivations and our external behaviors. Humility enables us to look down into who and what we are and not sit there and deny it or plaster over it, but to look it straight in the face. Humility stops saying that we are right and God is wrong, that we know the truth and that he must be lying about our situation. Verse 10, if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, pause. How's everybody doing? Uh, Let's take a deep breath. How's everybody? All right, all you miserable sinners, how you doing this morning? Okay. I get it. We open up with this super cute imagery of two little brothers running to their dad and its community and its love, and now we're talking about corruption of soul and the darkness of human depravity. You know, we're missing the joy community part here. Just a little bit, a little bit more. And this is why, guys, for us to truly become a community of love, we will never understand the power and the nature of what loving community is. We'll never understand the depth of koinonia or fellowship with God and with each other. 
We cannot understand it until we understand what we're truly being transparent and humble about. We come together in fellowship, and here's where we're all on the same page. All of us this morning show up in this room equally broken, equally, equally wounded. I am just as scared as you are, just as insecure, just as uncertain. I am, we are together, just as all equally prone to deception. It's when we actually begin to know that together collectively, transparently and humbly, that we're all in the same boat together, it actually strengthens us and gives us a little courage to come a little bit more out into the light, just a little bit, because I know you got some stuff too. I'm not alone in this. I got you figured out. So I can come out into the light. I don't have to be as, as hidden. Knowing that we're not alone, it's humbling. And it creates empathy and care for each other rather than judgment and control. To become open and to grow this summer, all we really need is people with whom we can mutually foster openness and growth. And in the end, what we're going to need is the sort of interdependence that is based on love and friendship and empathy. And these things enhance and encourage continued development and maturity. We're all in the same boat together. So what's going to stop that from happening this summer and through the duration of our lives? Pride, posturing, protection. Like a good preacher, I alliterate all of it. Pride, posturing, protection. Briefly, pride, of course, is the opposite of humility. Pride right now says, I don't need to be in the light. I've got my life under control. It's not God or anyone else's business what I'm doing on my own terms. I'm not hurting anyone, which is the only moral standard we have left in our culture. Hey, consenting adults, we're not hurting anybody. As long as we're not hurting anybody, we can do whatever we want. Pride is the great liar that hides our brokenness and our pollution, and it ignores the truths of God about reality of how broken we are. Pride is the original sin that keeps us separated from God and each other. Pride is what causes us to take the fruit for ourselves and decide what is right in our own eyes. And this pride creates a posturing before God, and this pride creates a posturing before each other. Because we know it in our deeps. We are embarrassed. We are ashamed of our corruption, of our pollution, of our dirtiness, of our brokenness. And so we cover it and we create false identities. Now, the biblical authors of Genesis describe these postures, these coverings, as fig leaves that Adam and Eve put upon themselves to cover themselves in their nakedness. In our day, in our moment, we call it more money, more material gain, get better looking, get a better body, go faster, get higher on the social hierarchy, garner more fame, get more influence. The list goes on and on and on in the way that we posture before each other because we have to posture ourselves as something more than we are because pride will not allow us to say to God and to others, I am terribly insecure. I am very uncertain. I feel ugly. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I have done dirty and shameful things. Pride and posturing keeps us from saying dirty and shameful things have been done to me. And friends, ultimately, this pride and this posturing, it's, it's an act of self-protection. That's what you all are doing. You're not being judged for that. Your father is wooing you to safety and to true security. But we, we want to self-protect. Remember, sin is something that we've done, but it's also something that has happened to us. 
And so ultimately, a hidden life in the dark is a person trying to protect whatever sense of value and love they have. It's a protection mechanism so that we're not destroyed by the pain of others and by the pain of shame. And this is the great lie of the hidden life. The pain of shame that we're trying not to be destroyed by actually thrives in the darkness like mold. And so our efforts in the dark fuel it and create this ever-growing cycle of shame. So we have to protect our pride. We have to protect our postures and presentations of who we are to this cruel world because there's no way for us to be able to control how people out there are going to treat us or react to us if they see into and we let them see who we actually are. Now, let's thread this needle very carefully again all summer long. We protect ourselves because people are dangerous. And if we're humble this morning, you'll recognize that you're dangerous. We are dangerous. Equally corrupted, equally polluted, equally broken. This process of transparency and humility that grows a loving community. Now listen, this is where I want everybody to track so carefully. The church in the West has sold you guys a bill of goods. You show up on a Sunday morning and the pastor's like, we're family. Let's be transparent. Let's be humble. Then you go to group on Wednesday night and it's absolutely terrifying. And so we keep our postures in place because pride has to protect all the pain that we're dealing with. This process of humble, transparent community, this is why we're praying for five generations as a church. This takes a long time, a long time. The duration of your life with a community of people in most instances, and it's rare in modern Western Christianity, rare to find a community of people that have been together for, in the city of San Diego, more than four or five years. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. This is what we're praying for in this transient city that some of us, 50 years from now, our grandparents sitting here with our grandchildren developing this level of transparency and humility. And so we have to go slowly to begin to build trust and we also have to become trustable. You have to build trust in others, but you have to become trustable. I do not trust you. It will take time. That's humbling. Isn't that humbling? Did I just humble all of you guys? I'm sorry if I offended you. But you don't trust me. And I've had to learn over many years of being a public communicator. You just sit in front of 100 people and they're like, you don't, tr they don't trust you. This takes time. It takes time. Some of us in this room have shared our lives and it's been used against us. I could tell you as a leader in the church, some of my most painful memories are trying to just be a Christian in the community and then just getting slaughtered because I confessed, I said, I'm sorry, I said, here's what's going on. Others have tried to hide their lives and you've been found out and then it's been used against you. Some of us in this room have used confessions or the weaknesses or vulnerabilities of others against them. Listen, this summer, very sober word here. As we turn our communities into laboratories of relational community and love, we are, we are embarking on a dangerous journey to go deeper into one another's lives. We're in fragile, fragile territory here, friends. So we, with sobriety and with honesty, we enter this summer with patience and slowness and discernment. But we commit for the rest of our lives. This level of community and transparency, this Trinitarian loving community, it's so difficult that me leading in the church for 25 years now, sometimes I've just thrown my hands in there. I'm like, this is impossible. The minute there's any sort of infraction or wounding, poof, everybody's gone. It just disappears. 
And I have felt like it's impossible. Let, let's get back to the, that original image of a couple little boys running in loving relationship to meet their dad with each other. In our pride and our posturing and our protection, each of us as individuals need to choose to be humble and transparent because our father is not waiting to shame us or break us or punish us or harm us. He wants us to cling to him, to cling to him, like two little boys grabbing hold of his legs as our only hope of knowing who we are, as our only hope of true protection, as our only hope of being humble and being guarded from the beast of sin and being healed from the sickness of sin. We must run to the Father, personally, but we run to the Father together. Our Father this morning sees through the muck and the mire of the corruption of our souls, and he sees you inherently. Now, you may come from a theological tribe that differs differently with this language, and we can have a cup of coffee and talk about why I have shifted so dramatically in this area, but at your core, your Father created you and sees you as good and beautiful, holy, lovely, and infinitely delightful. You are his image bearer, period. Full stop. His goal, the transformation project of Christianity, is to restore what we were before the fall through unconditional love, through unending, transforming love, through light and love. And so the Father that we run to, he is pure light. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And so his light and his holiness and his glory don't wipe us out. It is our only hope. So we come to him as our all, as our answer, as our guide, as our center, as our source of joy, as our source of love. And we truly are his children. He is our true father. This is the way that John refers to us over and over in his letter. My dear children, my dear children, the journey this summer and for the rest of our lives to transparent, humble, loving community begins by looking at each other and realizing we're just a bunch of toddlers figuring this out before our father in heaven. We're just little kids. But we will mature and grow up. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Transparency and humility about our strength, it strengthens us to run to our Father, and he guards and empowers and heals us through the Spirit so that this long process of humility and transparency over the duration of our lives, we slowly overcome, get out of patterns of sin more and more. God is restoring the good. Yes, I know most of you are biblically trained Christians raised here, Yes, you're never going to reach the end where you wake up one morning and you look in the mirror and you're like, did it, sin free. <laughs> I made it all day long. I aced it, nailed it, check, all those things. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I think for a lot of us, you may take that as, oh, why even try? Here, here's the key. Transformation will all transformation is the key. It is you are going to be forever being transformed to where you reach the end of the day. You're like, hey, that one thing that I was dealing with like three years ago, nailed it today in the presence of the Spirit, and you share with your community. And by the way, a whole crop of like 10 other things came up that I need some prayer for. <laughs> transformation will be happening though. So, what do we do with this ongoing sin? We repent and we confess. Good old Bible words until we die. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, said, all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. And so if we're humble and recognize that all of our life is going to be in some form an ongoing process of repentance, it's not a burden at all. Change the way that you think of repentance, friends. Come back to those little boys running to their father. That's repentance. Running to the father. 
can't wait to get to dad, cling to his legs, have him kick us up in the air and say, tell me everything, kiddo. Tell me everything, because I'm here for you, and I love you, and I protect you. But this is the loving community piece. You don't run by yourself. There's another kid on the other leg. My four-year-old little brother with his curly hair and his fat little face just smiling away. But you see, these, it's, it, this is it. The sobriety and the weightiness of corruption of soul complemented by a smile together as we cling to our Father. And we tell him everything together in loving community. It's a gift of pure joy, and it comes because of God's mercy and forgiveness. And it will never, ever, ever run out for any of us together as a community. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from a couple of the sins that we committed last week. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from the way we're going to mess up three years from now. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all, 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 all sin. Past, present, future sins are purified, cleansed, gone. Confession makes that an experiential reality, and confession puts, it embodies in our flesh, in eye-to-eye contact, the spiritual reality of purity and forgiveness. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. The good news that binds us together is that God entered the darkness of our lives, the darkness of our world, so that we could run to him. The gospel authors say that when Jesus Christ was crucified, darkness covered the land. He came to us in our darkness, and he entered fully into, absorbed the fullness of our darkness, our guilt, our shame. And so he who was light incarnate became total darkness so that we can come into the light. And his blood purifies you and I today. The cross of Jesus is like a water purifier. We come today by faith, dirty and filthy and polluted, And we pour our lives into him by faith, trusting and receiving. And what is filtered out of us is this drinkable, life-giving water. From your innermost being, Jesus would say, living water will flow. Where we're prideful and thinking that we can handle it. We've got things under control. As we follow Jesus, his life, and as we trust in his death, that pride slowly transforms into humility. We come to finally accept the fact that we need grace. We need his power. We need his mercy. For you church kids, one of my favorite things is when you've found yourself in a rut and you finally come to grips with the fact like, whoa, my religion and my righteousness doesn't save me. I actually need Jesus on the cross. It's such a beautiful moment to watch Christian kids come to grips with the gospel. It's just as beautiful as the drunk off the streets coming to repent. It's so powerful. Where we've been posturing, we slowly begin to realize I am clothed in my truest self in Jesus, clean and righteous. But for the life and the the life and the cross of Jesus to have its full transforming effect in our lives, listen, you have to give control of your life to him completely. Every single day, bit by bit, you slowly have a little less hiding in the dark, a little less posturing, a little less self-protecting, a little more vulnerability. Slowly, carefully, everything becomes more and more his, and that, and no less than that, purifies our souls. And we all are humbly, transparently, and carefully, intentionally trying to do that together. He's our advocate, toning sacrifice. There's nothing that keeps us separated from God and each other. This is our hope, like children clinging to their father's legs and clinging to the finished work of Jesus. One final thing before we come to communion. And this is, if you would, just take one more breath with me. I really want you guys to hear this. You're rallied right now. I'm ready, Dan. 
I'm ready to, there's this particular thing. I'm taking it to my community group this week. It's going to be amazing. Well done. Listen, because sin does what sin does in communities, you may end up doing something and saying something that brings hurt again. Because sin does what sin does in communities, you may get out there and you're, be, you're going to be vulnerable and somebody's not going to react the way that you wanted them to react and that's going to hurt you. There's a huge bulk of us in this room that are right now like, I've been down this road before. I don't think I want to go down this road again. Listen, one of the greatest invitations to maturity is to be wounded as Jesus was wounded, to feel like you've exposed yourself for the sake of your own well-being and for the other, and then to be hurt. Now we're getting into the deeps of Christian transformation. When you are hurt by another, it is to absorb it as Jesus absorbed it. We can't self-protect from the total transformation project of Christianity. Don't be scared. He's a good shepherd. He's a good father. The Holy Spirit is kind. He will strengthen you and lead you as you meditate in the forgiveness that he's given you. There's no way around this stuff. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. I've hurt people. You've hurt people. We're all vulnerable. We're all protective. But this total transformation project of Christianity, it will always be inviting us forward. So... As we come to communion this morning, Joshua is going to come up, lead us in some songs and meditation. My exhortation pastorally to all of us, settle in for the long haul. Be strong and courageous was the commands throughout the Old Testament. Fear not. Take your time. Discern. Learn who the Spirit's compelling you to trust your life with. Learn how to become trustable. I would encourage you, as you enter into your communities, ask yourselves over and over and over, am I trustable? Am I trustable? Cling to the Father in confession together. And I, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but I can almost certainly say this is what we're all longing for more than anything. We all want to love and be loved. It's what we were designed for. We want to love and be loved in this pure, holy, Trinitarian community uh, of love forever. So let's do that. Let's do that. Fathers, we come to communion this morning. I ask now, as I just have this image of, of someone who feels so bruised, so bruised, and I see your pierced hands just touching the bruises. And it's not like the pain goes away, but it's like the pain matures them. They become more like Jesus. As we come to communion this morning, common union, community. That's what this is. We eat the cup together. We eat the bread together as equally broken people, people who can't stop misstepping and making mistakes, people who wake up tomorrow with all the willpower of Monday morning and by Monday evening are like swinging a miss. We need you, Jesus. We need you every second of our lives. We partake of your body. We clothe ourselves in your righteousness. We trust in your holiness, and we thank you that the transformation project that you have initiated will never end. We will be layer by layer shaped and made more to be ourselves in Jesus until the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.